This morning we're in Revelation chapter 12. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 12. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be together, to worship together, to study uh, your word. We thank you, Jesus, that you have overcome the enemy. And we pray this morning that we would walk in the victory that you have provided. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you into our time. We give you our hearts and our minds. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This is quite a chapter because there's a war that breaks out uh, in heaven. The dragon, who is Satan, is, is there. Michael, the archangel. And there's this literal conflict that breaks out in heaven. Michael and the angels win. This chapter divides itself into three sections. The first six verses are two signs. There's a woman who has a child and a great fiery dragon. Things shift then to the conflict from verse 7 to verse 12, where there's that war in heaven. Then it goes back to the woman In verses 13 through 17, the woman is persecuted. The big takeaway for us uh, in this conflict in heaven is we see how to be able to overcome the enemy, how to be able to walk in victory. Now, a great sign appeared in heaven. A sign brings awareness. It gets everyone's attention. And God says there's this great sign that appears in heaven. Where we are in the book of Revelation is God's pouring out his wrath. He's pouring out his judgment. There's been seven seals and seven trumpets, and now there's a pause. And in this pause is this sign of this woman and the great uh, dragon, and that will then lead into the seven bull judgments. This is the first of seven signs listed from chapter 12 to chapter 14. So, So here's the sign. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Who is this woman? This has been the question that has been asked. Some think that this is the Virgin Mary, uh, but then you have the the Virgin Mary with with birth pains uh, in heaven doesn't seem uh, quite uh, to fit. Uh, Some think that this is the church, that it's the church giving birth to Christ, but that's all messed up theologically because we don't give birth to Christ. Christ gives birth uh, to us. As we go through, it seems pretty clear uh, that the woman is in reference to the nation of Israel. And this woman's going to give birth to a child and the nation of Israel bringing about the Christ child, Jesus coming from the lineage of Israel through the tribe of Judah. We get some indications uh, that the woman is Israel from the language that's used, clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet. In Genesis 37, Joseph has a vision, and Joseph is the beginning of the nation of Israel, he and his brothers. And in this dream, his parents were the sun and the moon. His parents were the sun and the moon, and the brothers were the stars. So this points to the nation of Israel. Jacob being the beginning of the nation of Israel is the sun and the moon and then the 12 stars being the the 12 tribes. This garland of 12 stars, it speaks of the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob. Verse 2, then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. The, The woman gives birth to a child. And another dragon, another sign appeared, the second sign in heaven. Behold, a great 
red dragon having seven heads, ten horns, and seven diadems on his head. We're going to come back to this child that's been birthed in, in just a moment. But the attention goes upon another sign, and it's a great dragon. As we continue into this chapter, it's clear that the dragon is Satan. Why is Satan symbolized with the dragon? Because of his murderous nature. The murderous nature of uh, Satan. So it's typified as a dragon. This is a pretty trippy dragon because the dragon's got seven heads. What do the, the seven heads speak of? It speaks of, of great intellect. Our, our minds uh, speak of our intellect. The ten horns uh, of great strength. If you want to study the ten horns more, you can go back to, to Daniel 9. Or excuse me, Daniel 7. D- Daniel chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. And the seven diadems speak of the kingdoms, the, the nations that have come under the influence of, of Satan. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. So his tail wiped out a third of the stars probably referring to the fallen angels that have become demons. When Satan fell, there was a third of the angels that fell with him that chose to go with the direction of Satan. Now notice that the dragon is standing before the the woman who's ready to give birth and to devour her child. The child is speaking of Christ, Christ coming through the nation of Israel. And Satan has tried to destroy Jesus. We see this back with Herod when Christ was born. Herod was resolute to try to kill the Christ child to where he came after all of the baby boys in Bethlehem, killed all of the baby boys to and under. Satan's always come against Israel and come against Christ. Why would Satan be so against the nation of Israel? Well, if he wiped out the nation of Israel before Christ came, then God's promises aren't true. Pharaoh tried to wipe out the nation of Israel. Haman in the book of Esther tried to wipe out the the nation of Israel. Herod in Christ's time trying to kill the Christ child. Hitler trying to take out the nation of Israel. During the tribulation, there's this great persecution that comes from Satan upon the nation of Israel. This is how we know the child is Jesus from verse 5. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and uh, his throne. So Jesus rules over all of the nations. That, that's his place. And as Christ was crucified, then he was caught up to be with God. In verse 6, Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, that they should feed her there 1,260 1, days. So as Satan is coming against Israel for this three and a half year period, God has provided a place in the wilderness. Focus on maybe underline, she has a place prepared by God. So, so God knows that this opposition is going to happen. God's the one who's in control. Somewhere in the wilderness, God's prepared a place of refuge for the children of Israel. And as they get there, they're fed. As they get there, they're cared for for this three and a half a year period. So we've often wondered, well, where exactly are they going to flee to? We don't know. There's some think that it's Petra in Jordan. 
not too far from, from Jerusalem, the rock fortresses uh, that are there. But ultimately, we don't know. God knows where this place of preparation will be. Jesus speaks in Matthew 24, verse 16. It says, Let those who are in Judah flee to the mountains. As the tribulation's happening specifically to the nation of Israel, specifically to Judah, flee to the mountains, flee to the wilderness. And here's the war that breaks out. So things shift now to this war in heaven, and then we'll come back to this woman who's persecuted. And a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. So first, the dragon, Satan, and his fallen angels, which are demons, are in heaven. We're going to wrestle with this more on Wednesday night. On on Wednesday nights, we're doing an in-depth study. But what in the world is Satan doing in heaven? We don't really picture Satan having access to heaven, but he does. We know this from Job chapter 1, where Satan comes and visits God. And the question comes, have you considered my servant Job? Satan says the only reason that Job's serving you is because you've got a hedge of protection around him asks for permission to mess with Job, and God grants permission. This shows that God's in control, not Satan. And God allows for Satan to bring trial into Job's life. And that's what we'll wrestle with on Wednesday night. Why does God allow that? Why does God allow Satan in uh, his presence? But in this moment of time, God's making a statement with this battle that's happening between Michael and Satan the good angels and the fallen angels. Who's Michael? Michael's an archangel. He's one of the powerful uh, angels. We see in Jude 9 that Michael and Satan are disputing over the body of Moses. So this isn't the first time that these two guys have wrestled. Moses dies as he's overlooking the promised land, not able to go into the promised land. God buries Moses. No one's there to, to do the ceremony. And for some reason, Satan wants the body of Moses. Isn't that kind of weird? But Michael and Satan mix it up over the body of Moses. In Daniel chapter 12, we see uh, this prophecy about Michael. This is Daniel 12, 1. It says, in that time, Michael shall stand up. This time that's being uh, referred to here. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such As never was seen, there was a nation even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. So there's this prophecy of Michael standing up in a time of trouble that the world has never seen. And that's also what Revelation 12, 7 is speaking about. It's going to be impressive to meet Michael, I think. But notice who's not fighting in this battle. God's not fighting. God's like, Michael, you got this. We can easily start to think that God and Satan are equals. They're not. Satan's a fallen angel, and God is God. Satan's not all-knowing. He's not all-powerful. He's not all-present. That's only God. Satan can only be in one place at, at one time. Michael's able to deal with this. The other angels are able to deal with this. God doesn't have to lift a finger, right? So this puts in perspective uh, the power of God. In verse 8, But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven 
any longer. Satan and demons, they don't prevail, and they're kicked out of heaven for good. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. We get a description of Satan here, that he is the serpent of old. When Satan came and tempted Eve, he came as a serpent. He's deceptive. He's, he's tricky. We also find here two titles that are given to him, the devil and Satan. Devil means slanderer. Satan means adversary. He's also one who deceives, who deceives the world. Satan comes through deception, not necessarily on this frontal attack many times, but he'll, he'll come in the back door and deceive. How did Satan deceive Eve? He got her to question the word of God. Has God really said? And that's what Satan will do in our lives as well. Get us to doubt and question the, the word of God. Has God really said that all of your sins are forgiven? Could it really be that simple that Jesus died for your sins and through faith you're, you're forgiven? Is God really in control? Does he have a plan and purpose? Does, does he work all things together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose? We begin to doubt the word of God. Could God really create the world? The Bible says that God has created the world. Does God really have a plan for sexuality? We live in a culture that is doubting the word of God. And that then leads to, if we're not careful, replacing the word of God. Satan comes in with Eve and he, he replaces the, the word of God. And as he's deceiving, he's using bait to deceive Eve. Our family and I, we started to get a little more into trout fishing. Uh, for years, I'd take my kids fishing and just strike out. It's the worst. Like you got all that work and you go up trout fishing and all you do is catch snags and it's no fun. And a friend of ours here at church is like master fisherman. We call him fish bait. He's like, and he took us fishing for a few times and, and I got out my phone after fishing with him. And the first time I was like, okay, I need to know all your tricks. Like, what line do you use? What hooks do you use? What bait do you use? And like his system works. Every time we've gone with his system, we've got our poles hooked up the way he's, his poles are, we catch fish. I can't tell you the secrets. So. <laughs> can't do it. But that bait, it's all about the bait, right? And so Satan, he's, he's going to try to bait us. And he uses the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. He used that on Eve. This forbidden fruit that God said to not eat, it looked good. It was desirable to the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. If you eat this, you're going you're gonna to be like God. God's holding out something uh, from you. How did Jesus overcome the temptation of the enemy in Matthew chapter 4? With the word of God. He gave us an example that we can follow. He quoted the word of God out loud. Man shall not live by bread alone. And that's the way to overcome temptation, to run to Christ, to, to run to the word. So this is how Satan comes against us in verse 9. But here's the victory that comes uh, to us in the next few verses. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. 
For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. So heaven rejoices that Satan has been kicked out of, of heaven. The accuser of the brethren who accuses us before God day and night has been cast down. Not only is, is Satan the deceiver, but he's the one who brings accusation. He loves to, to accuse us before God, before the Father, day and night. And this is where Jesus comes in as our intercessor, as our advocate. Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. So Satan brings our sin before the Father. Are they really your child? Look at what they just did, and they believe in you. They claim to follow you, and, and Jesus steps in and says, wait a second, I paid for them. My blood has been shed uh, for them. And that's where we have assurance that our sins are forgiven. Are you listening to the voice of your accuser, the, the voice of Satan, where you're beginning to question, does God really love me? Does God really forgive me of my sins? Is it really worthwhile for me to be connected relationally with the people of God? Have you ever gone through those seasons where it's like, I can't show up to church because of what I'm struggling with and the sin that, that I'm going through? If we really start to evaluate it, that voice of the enemy, that accusing voice of the enemy is probably there more than we realize. Are you walking in this condemnation? Do all you see is, is your shortcomings as a husband, as a father, as a, as a wife, as a mom, as a single? What's the difference between condemnation and conviction? Condemnation is going to beat you down and drive you away from Christ. That's the voice of the enemy. But conviction, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, is going to produce in us a humility that drives us back to Christ, back to the grace of Jesus. And the end result of that is there's a lifting of our sins. There's a, I'm forgiven, I've confessed my sin to the Lord, not this, not this beating down. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Romans 8, there's this question that's been given to us of, of who brings a charge against God's elect. God has chosen you. You're, you're in Christ. So, so who can bring a charge against you? Satan's sure going to try but nothing can separate you from the love of God. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We can be listening to that accusing voice in our own lives, but also we can begin to listen to that voice in regards to others. If we're not careful, all we're seeing is the faults of our spouse. All we're seeing is the faults of our kids. All we're seeing is the faults of our parents. All we're seeing is the faults of our brothers and sisters in Christ. All we're seeing is the, the faults of our, our community. We're, we're just walking around accusing, and we're walking right in line with the agenda of Satan. So we've got to be careful that we're not listening to this voice of accusation. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. This is where we take notes. This is where we begin to meditate and say, okay, how do we overcome Satan? This is how they overcame Satan, and they're in order. So the foundation, the building block, is the blood of the Lamb. This is how we overcome the deceiver. This is how we overcome the accuser, is through the blood of Jesus. 
knowing that his blood has paid the price for our sin so we no longer have to listen to this voice of accusation. It's one thing to know that up here, and it's another thing to apply that in our hearts and, and in our lives. I mean, you, you can know that you have some money in the bank, but it's another thing to, to access that and use that. You can know that you have a gift card, but it's another thing to, to go out and enjoy that. It's one thing to know the blood of Jesus cleanses me from my sin, and it's another thing to live in that. It's important for us to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. What do I mean by that? To remind ourselves, I am a sinner. We don't need much reminding on that point. But to, I am a sinner, that Jesus loves, that God loves. And Jesus, you came and you died for my sin and you rose again. I believe in you. I believe in your death and resurrection. And I know that I'm the child of God. I know that I'm, I'm forgiven. That's living in the gospel. That's not allowing the voice of the accuser to get the best of us. The Bible is really this unfolding message of the blood of Jesus cleansing us from our sins. All of these Old Testament sacrifices that point us to the need for Jesus to die for our sins, these animals only covering sin to where when Jesus comes, John the Baptist pointing out who Jesus is, says, behold the Lamb of God who what? Takes away the sins of the world. All of these lambs killed in the Old Testament, here's God's ultimate sacrifice to take away our sin. Also in the book of Romans, we're told that we're justified by faith. The word justified means that we're declared righteous. It's a legal term. God's actually declared us righteous through the blood of Jesus. Passover, first Passover, the children of Israel were to kill a lamb and apply the blood of the lamb to the door of their home, to where when judgment came, judgment passed over because of the blood of the lamb. That's a beautiful picture of what we do with the blood of Jesus. Through faith, we apply the blood of Jesus to our hearts and to our lives to know that we're forgiven. We all have images in our minds of past mistakes and failures, sin. And as the enemy brings up those images of failure, we need to picture those images with the blood of Jesus. To just allow the blood of Jesus to cover up that, that image, to know that I'm forgiven. I'm robed in Christ's righteousness. Church, this is so important. This is so important for us to have victory over the enemy is to hold on in faith to the blood of Jesus. The second is the word of their testimony. Satan is defeated when we open our mouths and we testify what God has done in our lives and what God is currently doing in our lives. Satan hates this, right? All of you that know Christ as your Savior, you have a story of how God brought you to Christ, of how he revealed himself uh, to you. If you're examining Christ and you're considering coming to know Christ, that testimony is being worked in your heart and your life. But God's story in our life doesn't stop when we receive Christ as our Savior. It's this continuing story. So we talk about it. We share about it the word of our, our testimony. We're going to do this the night before Thanksgiving here at church. We've got our night of prayer and worship, and we're going to emphasize uh, being thankful. Have some testimonies, have some worship, 
but also we're going to hand out some cards for you to write down things that God's done in your life recently. We'll break up into small groups right here in the sanctuary, three to five, and share what God, God has done. I'd encourage you to try this, especially as you feel the opposition of the enemy. Open your mouth about what God's done in your life. Remember and, and focus, Lord, this is how you saved me. This is how you've seen me through in the last uh, few months, and, and I'm going to share this. But also ask others, hey, how did you come to know Christ as your Savior? I love asking that question. Sometimes I've known people for years. I've never asked that question. And when I ask that question, man, their heart just begins to open up. And I'm glorifying Christ, and they're glorifying find Christ. Share that word of our, of our testimony with believers and unbelievers. Right? Believers need to be encouraged. Unbelievers need the witness of, of who Jesus is. And then lastly, they didn't love their lives to the death. Now, please let me clarify this. This doesn't mean they didn't love life. <laughs> this doesn't mean that they were considering ending their life or taking their life. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1, and he says, I want to go home to be with the Lord, but I also want to stay here. He wanted to continue to, to live this life. And that's a a godly perspective. Lord, when you take me home, I'm ready. But as long as you have me here, that there's purpose for me. So it wasn't that they didn't love this life, but what this verse means is they weren't afraid of persecution. They weren't afraid of death. They weren't afraid of the opposition that maybe Satan would bring in their life. They'd surrendered their life to Christ. They weren't holding too tightly to this life and to the comforts of this life. Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 25, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If we want victory over the enemy, we surrender our life. We put it all in God's hands. It doesn't give the enemy a whole lot of room, a whole lot of territory for victory in our lives. This is the way that we overcome. This is my prayer this morning for us as a church family as that we would experience more victory over the enemy. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the accusing voice of Satan got silenced in our lives because we're holding on to the blood of Jesus? We're not walking in condemnation and shame and guilt, but rejoicing the fact that Christ is done. What if there was a, a movement of fire that got lit in our hearts this morning where we began to just share the word of our testimony? began to speak with our families. You know, this is how God's met me this week. This is how, how God has been faithful. Parents, do our kids know the God story in our life? Do they know how we came to know Christ as our Savior? Don't leave out the hard stuff. The hard stuff is, shows the glory of God and, and how God has worked. How's the Lord been faithful through all of this COVID mess? We need to hear that, right? How has he been faithful through medical challenges, the word of our testimony? What if we stopped holding so tightly to our lives? We loved this life, but we weren't trying to hold on to our lives. We surrendered our lives to Christ. Verse 12, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. Satan's not going to give up. He's kicked out of heaven. He's down here on earth, this great dragon. His time's short, so he's going to wreak even more havoc. The, the tribulation is, is God's wrath, and also God removing his protection 
from the demonic realm where Satan is able to have his way in a greater degree. You ever been hanging out at a pool summertime? You're not really attending to, to get into the pool. And the heart, you feel someone coming up over your shoulder and they are pushing you in the pool. And you realize you're going in. What do you do? You grab that person and you're like, you're coming in with me. I used to be a youth pastor, and, you know, the high school boys loved to do this, and as soon as I knew that this was happening, I was going for as many of them as possible, right? Like, all five of you are coming in here with me, right? And that, that's what Satan's doing. He's like, I'm going down. I know my time is short. He knows that, that he's lost, but he's going to try to wreak havoc. We also know our time is short, so let's press into God. Let's press into loving people. Let's, let's press into his purpose and mission for for our lives. Back to the persecution of Israel and and the child. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. So he really focuses his anger on Israel, upon uh, the woman. Verse 14, but the woman was given two wings of a, a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. So God has protection for the nation of Israel. God's not threatened. He's not not defeated. He knows this attack is coming, and he's provided this place of, of protection. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman... And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. So the dragon vomits. The the dragon spews. But God protects and the the earth opens up the flood. Again, God's protection. And the dragon was enraged with the woman and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who kept the commandments of God and had the testimony of Jesus Christ. It seems that there is spiritual revival that happens in Israel. There's those that are keeping the commandments of God and the testimony of Christ. The the context is is Israel. And the dragon is is going after them and and trying to bring destruction upon their lives. Satan is attacking Israel. There's this war that takes place in heaven. And he's going to attack us as well. It's not if we're going to be in a spiritual battle, we are in a spiritual battle. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that and communicates that uh, to us. So are we listening to the voice of the accuser? Are we listening to the voice of, of the deceiver? Where is it that that voice is just getting too much clout in our hearts and our minds? And God this morning would want to set us free, allow us to be overcomers as we engage in that battle. God commands us, and he says, submit to God, resist the enemy, and he will flee from you. Practically, that's, that's holding on in faith to the blood of the Lamb, applying the blood of the Lamb to our hearts and our lives, preaching the gospel to ourselves daily, sharing the word of our testimony, sharing what, what God has done in our lives. 
not getting too comfortable, not holding on to this life, surrendering our, our life uh, to Christ. Yesterday morning, I had the opportunity to teach at a men's breakfast at Austin Bluffs EV Free. Uh, Pastor Lance invited me over, a wonderful church that loves the, the scriptures. And what the Lord had put on my heart for those guys was David's mighty men. And I was really encouraged and challenged in sharing that message out of 2 Samuel 23. Because we find when David was a young man, that there weren't those in Israel that would stand up against the enemy. The enemy is the Philistines, it's Goliath. Goliath is this huge warrior, over nine feet tall. He's coming to the Valley of Elah, talking trash, just spewing it out. And all of the men of Israel are cowering in fear, including Saul. But here comes David, and David sees the opposition as an opportunity for God to receive glory. He's the only one that sees it that way. He says, God can do this. I believe that God is bigger than this Goliath. And instead of shrinking back from the battle, he presses into it, and God wins a victory. And what stood out to me about David's mighty men, and please hear this, is David won the hearts of a generation of men. Because David was willing to trust God, that that God was bigger than the enemy, bigger than the opposition, then there was a whole group of men that began to walk in the footsteps of David. And courage is contagious. And fear is contagious. These men began to walk with God the way that David walked with God. And when there was opposition of the Philistines, instead of running away, they're like, God's got this. The first mighty man, Adino, single-handedly killed 800 Philistines, 800 of the enemy. That's not even humanly possible. But he believed that God was bigger than the opposition of the enemy. The next mighty man, they're coming to take God's beans, the lentils. And instead of running away in fear, he's like, these are God's beans. Like, I'm staying right here. If you want the beans, you're going to have to come through me. And it says, God did a great victory. Church, this is the time that we're living in. We can get discouraged by the darkness. We can get discouraged about how culture is. We can get confused. We can shrink back. Or like David, we can say, you know what? All of this opposition, all of this darkness, all this craziness that we see in culture is an opportunity for God to receive glory, but God's calling his people to press into the fight instead of backing out of the fight. There was a whole generation of Israelites that were content to back out of the fight. And they were still God's people, but they were going to stay back in this place of, of discouragement. And David says, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. And the encouragement for us is we have a greater than David the son of David, Jesus Christ. And as we spend time with Jesus, we begin to see the world how he sees it. Okay, there's this spiritual battle. I don't need to be afraid. I'm not going to shrink back. I'm going to press in and see this challenge. We don't have a battle with the Philistines. We have a spiritual battle. I'm pressing into it. God, this is an opportunity for you to receive glory. This isn't about my comfort. This is not about my wish list. This is a about your name being proclaimed. And so, Lord, I'm stepping into the battle. I'm holding on to the blood of the Lamb. I'm holding on to the word of my testimony. I'm not going to 
hold too closely to this life. And this is what's so cool, what could happen. As we individually as believers press into this, is there could be a whole generation of God's people that say, enough, enough. I'm not just gonna sit back in the Valley of Elah. Goliath is really loud right now, right? The enemy is really loud right now. Okay, let's spend time with the Lord and say, oh, I'm going to press into the fight. I'm going to press into the difficulty and believe that, God, you're bigger than the giants. Who really is the giant in this story? It's not Goliath. He's the grasshopper. God's the giant. So as we're facing giants in our lives to say, Lord, help me frame this in the right perspective and see it through who you are. The reason that David could step up in that way is because he spent time with God. He spent time with God. And it's going to be the same for us, the same for you and me. The only way we can step up in these times and have the wisdom to do it in the way that would honor and glorify the Lord is if we spend time with the greater than David, Jesus Christ, the, the King of Kings. Would you stand with me and let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you're our king. Uh, We thank you that you're our our victor. We thank you that there's victory over the enemy. And the voice of Satan who comes to deceive and the voice of Satan who comes to accuse, we right now hold on to the blood of Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that your blood is what cleanses us. Your blood is what makes us justified, which allows us to be the, the children of God. Lord, help us to share, even today. May we open our mouths and share of your goodness in our lives. May we not hold on to this life too, too closely. And Lord, if we're honest, we, we are discouraged. We look at the times that we're living in. We look at the spiritual climate. But we don't want to live in a place of discouragement. All of these things are opportunities for you to receive glory. So we choose today to press into the fight individually, as families, as a church. Because, Lord, that's where you do your greatest work. We thank you and we praise you.